Good morning again. It's a wonderful day to be in the Lord's house. Get your Bibles out. Open to Mark chapter 16 and um, 1 Peter, the first chapter. Mark 16 and 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll read um, from both of those. We'll read from Mark first and then we'll read um, from Peter um, a little bit later on. And so um, it is a joy and a privilege to be in the Lord's house. Beginning at the beginning of chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought sp spices so that they might anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, after the sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll away the stone at the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And they entered the tomb. They saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Heavenly Father, today I just pray that your word would speak and it would speak boldly. That, Father, we'd be reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Father, a hope that changes um, who we are, a hope that changes um, our eternal um, destination. Father, a hope that... Um, the world um, largely does not understand. Father, um, would we live lives in such a way that the world would just um, have a great desire to know um, our risen Savior. Father, I pray today that, Father, as we um, just continue to, to be reminded of um, the, the, the wonder and the mystery of a God that um, loves us so much, that, Father, it would um, move us, it would um, change us, that, Father, um, we would just become the people that you've called us to be so that the world could hear about um, our living hope. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, officially Easter's a few weeks away, and, you know, it'll get here before you know it. But this morning we just want to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus Christ, not just Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. You know, it's been over 2,000 years since Jesus um, rose from the dead. And, you know, and, and so in many respects, you, there are those that would say, how can an event that happened 2,000-plus years ago have any effect on life today? I mean, what is the result of a resurrection that took place so long ago? Well, the Scripture tells us that ladies arrived that Sunday morning to, to find the tomb empty. And our living hope is based on the resurrected Jesus Christ. It is based on the fact that the tomb was empty. And, you know, after hearing the reports from um, the ladies that morning, several of the disciples went to the tomb, and they found that the tomb was empty, that Jesus Christ was alive just as he had said. You go back thousands of years before this event takes place, and the prophets of old had recorded exactly what was going to happen, exactly what was going to happen and how it was going to happen, and now the events have unfolded exactly as planned. You know, I believe this, that folks, that, that hell took hold of a body and encountered God. You know, I, I don't think that's what was intended, but I think that's what happened that day, is that hell 
took hold of a body and encountered God. When, when Satan pulled Jesus um, from the earth, he encountered heaven. You know, hell reached out and, and took what it saw, and hell and death and the grave were overcome once and for all. You know, I, I just, at, at times, I don't think we understand that in the, in the greatest degree. Satan um, did his best not only to keep Jesus in the tomb. <laughs> Satan did his best not only to keep him in the tomb, but to, to, to put him in the tomb and to keep him in the tomb. But although death and the grave did all it could to hold him in the tomb, three days later, God said, enough's enough. God said, enough is enough to let the world and history record what I have predicted is going to happen. And three days later, um, Jesus arose. I mean, uh, an angel literally came down and, and touched earth. And when that angel touched earth, um, uh, an earthquake took place and the stone rolled away. And, and in my heart of hearts, folks, I am convinced that that stone rolled away not to let Jesus out. That stone rolled away so that we could see that Jesus was out. You know, it, 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 Jesus didn't need that, but it was that, that's how much our God loves us. He wanted us to know the truth. He wanted us to know the facts that Jesus had risen just as he said. So what difference can a resurrection make? Go to um, 1 Peter. 1 Peter, at the beginning of that chapter, um, start down at verse 3. 1 Peter. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is already to be revealed at the last time. In all of this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Those words were penned 30 years after the death of Jesus Christ. I mean, those words, when they were penned, were fresh. They were, they were new. This isn't ancient history that, um, that, that Peter's re re recording here. And Peter is writing those words to encourage persecuted Christians, or encourage those who are, are discouraged and displaced and distressed and in danger. And, you know, he tells them to take hold of the living hope that they have in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That third verse literally just, just, just shouts. It says, Jesus, in his great mercy, because that's what you have to understand, folks. It is God in his great mercy that made all of this happen. He said, Jesus Christ in his great mercy has given us new birth and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The living hope is based on the living, resurrected Christ. I mean, in so many respects, when we talk about living hope, it is a play on words because our living hope, because our hope is alive, is based on Jesus Christ who is living. It is a living hope. 
We don't have hope in a, a dead something. or we, we have hope in a living Jesus Christ. That living hope, the hope that we have is now is only possible in the resurrected Jesus Christ. A living hope is a hope that never dies. A hope that never dies. <laughs> That's a wild statement, folks. That, that ought to just turn you on, that, that our hope is based on the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. Those who have been born again have a living hope through new life in Jesus Christ, and that means that death is not the end. You, you know, I, I just, a man had a checkup one time, and he would go on to see the doctor to get the results, and the doctor told him when he came in his office, look, sir, he said, you better sit down. He says, okay. He says, well, he says, I have some bad news and some worse news. He said, well, what do you want first? And he says, well, I guess give me the bad news first. And the doctor looked at him and says, the bad news is you have 24 hours to live. And the guy panicked, stood up, started paying. He says, 24 hours to live? He says, I can't get my life in order in 24 hours. He says, that's the bad news. What could be worse than that? He says, the worst part is I should have told you yesterday. You know, the reality, folks, is death is certain. Death is certain. You are going to die. I mean, we would like to not talk about that conversation, but the reality is unless Jesus decides to return, you are going to die. Death is certain. But you know what else? <laughs> you know what else is equally certain? <laughs> is the eternal life that's found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And as a child of God, we too shall rise with Jesus Christ. That is every bit as certain as the death. You know, most of us don't like to talk about death, but let me just tell you, we know it's certain. We, we have lived long enough, we have seen enough of our loved ones pass from this life that we know that it is coming. Well, let me just tell you, folks, the resurrection is every bit as certain, and the life that it promises is every bit as certain. You know, we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, not because we hope that he rose, not because we have some, we celebrate the resurrection because he arose, <laughs> because he arose, and, and in his rising, we know that death is not the end. We know that evil did not win. We know that God forgives. We know that eternal life is an option. We know that a better tomorrow is coming. We know that Jesus Christ is risen. And in his resurrection, there is a living hope. But sadly, um, that assurance is not true of many people. You know, I used to say that wasn't true of some people. I've come to the understanding that uh, that's probably not true of most people. Throughout history, um, many have been unsure that there's really life after death. Many, um, even today, claim that when you die, that's it. At the end of life, there is no more. But for those who have been born again, for those that know Jesus Christ, those that believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and have placed their hope and their trust and their faith in Him, and by the power of the Spirit of God, we have hope of eternal life. And we have hope of eternal life in a place called heaven. Now, the sad part is a lot of those folks that don't believe any of that, they're still going to have eternal life, folks. But they're not going to have eternal life in the presence of a holy God. 
And, and so at times in life, I have come to understand it really doesn't matter what I believe. The facts are the facts. And when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it really doesn't matter what the world believes. The facts are the facts. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And one day the world will know that. It says one day every knee shall bow. You know, I, I told Donnie this morning, I never, and, and I don't, I, I don't um, tell him what to sing, but, um, and I understand some of the, the logic behind why we don't sing, but, but one of my, my favorite songs still during the Easter season, I can sing it every week, is Up From the Grave He Arose. <laughs> Up From the Grave He And I, I've had people tell me, but preacher, that you know how hard that song is to sing early in the morning, but I'm just here to tell you, folks, Up From the Grave He Arose with a mighty triumph over his foes he arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever on his throne to reign he arose hallelujah christ arose folks that's the easter story that's the easter story because jesus christ arose we have a living hope that when we die we will live again we have a living hope but we have more than just a living hope. <laughs> you know, a living hope is great, but we have more than a living hope. We have, our hope includes the promise of a better tomorrow. <laughs> our hope includes the promise of, that, the, that passage we've read, it says we have an inheritance that cannot perish, spoil, or fade. <laughs> you know, and it's kept in heaven for us. You know, listen to me. In the promise of that living hope, we have the promise that we're going to live again but we also have the promise that we're going to live better tomorrow than today. I know for a lot of people, the older you get, you're just hoping, do you have enough so that you can live better in retirement? Do you have enough that you can just maybe at least accommodate? Yeah, you, you do the financial plan, and they say, well, you at least want to live the same lifestyle you once lived. No, folks, as a Christian, I don't want to live the same lifestyle I once lived. I want to live a better lifestyle. That's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the hope of a better tomorrow. Our heavenly inheritance is better than anything and everything earth has ever had to offer. It's better than money. It's better than sex. It's better than power. It's better than fishing. It's better than shopping. You fill in the blank. It's better than anything you've ever experienced in this world. That's the tomorrow that we are promised because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have an inheritance that's imperishable, uncorrupted, unfading, and it's kept in heaven for us. The believer's inheritance cannot be taken away by a hostile government. <laughs> The believer's inheritance cannot spoil like override. You ever seen a banana that's been on the counter a couple days too long? <laughs> I mean, they just, you know, they, they're good when they're good, but when, boy, when they get black, they're bad. They, they're just ugly. I mean, yeah, it, it says, look, our inheritance won't ever get overripe. It's going to be perfect. You know, there, there's, when, when we go to, to Nicaragua when we get to eat some of the bananas, all right, I'm, I'm not a huge banana, but a banana that's been ripened on the tree that you pick it the day that it came off the tree and you can eat it fresh off the tree, it's 10 times better than what you can buy here in the States, folks. He says, that's our inheritance. He, he says, our inheritance will be perfectly ripe. It'll be perfectly the way it, it's indestructible. Look, it, inflation... Sickness, none of those things can touch our inheritance. You know, 
the, the word that, that's used in, over in Galatians, the fifth chapter, it says, our inheritance and our eternal life is kept in heaven. It literally translates, it's kept watch over by God himself. It's kept watch over by God himself. That's how sure your inheritance is. God is watching it, folks, and God says it is so and it's going to be. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and um, what a place it's going to be, folks. That's the future we have, a future that is beyond that future, the hope of that future, the realization of that future should make us live in a positive way. You know, in 1981, a guy by the name of Eugene Lang, um, who was a self-made millionaire, was asked to give um, the commitments, uh, commitments address at a, um, at a grade school graduation. So he was talking to um, um, sixth grade kids, and they were getting ready to go to junior high. And, you know, and he had made notes, and he was going to talk to them. And when he got there that day, and he said he looked out in the faces of the, the, the kids, what he really saw was innocent faces. Innocent faces of kids, he says, he didn't see kids that came from broken homes. He didn't see kids that were in a slum district school. He said he saw innocent faces, and he says, right then and there, he said he just, he kind of threw his notes away, and he says he knew he had to say something um, that was important. He knew he had to say something that would make a difference in these kids' lives, and he simply stood up, and he says, if you stay in school, I'll pay for your college education. There was 59 kids in that class. He says, if you stay in school, I will pay. You know, and, and at that moment, those kids' lives changed forever because suddenly they had a hope. They had a hope that they'd never had before. And, you know, um, five years later, he, he was meeting with um, um, one of the social workers in, in Harlem, a lady by the name of Dorothy um, Stoneman, and Lang recalls that he was bemoaning them, that he'd really seen much lack of progress, and all he still saw were um, truant kids and apathetic parents and uninterested students. And the lady um, looked at him, she says, you don't know how to look. <laughs> she says, damn it, Gene, wake up. Don't you realize that every one of your kids are still in school? Every one of your kids are still in school. He'd given them hope. Folks, that's the power of hope. That's the power of you. The track record goes on when you, when you follow those kids. Um, at a school that 50%, one out of every two students dropped out of school by, by the time the ninth grade was over. One out of every two. Of those 59 students, 90% of them graduated high school, and almost 70% of them went on to get at least a two-year college degree hope it changes the way we live folks as christians we have a hope that the world does not understand it must change the way we live not only do we have a living hope and a future hope that the future we have a present hope because of the living hope we can place our faith in jesus christ that fifth verse says who by faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. I'm not sure what greater hope we could be given, folks. The hope that Peter was giving these people were given to people that were um, being persecuted. And, you know, we will not fully understand it. We will not see its full significance until the return of Jesus Christ. 
But let me just tell you, folks, we have a hope. We have a hope that is beyond our comprehension. Jesus Christ is going to return, and when he returns, those who have placed their hope, their faith, their trust, their life, and the rest the rest of Jesus Christ will not be disappointed. You know, throughout scriptures, um, I, I said it last week. I said it, it, it does some good for things to be up here, but until they move from here to here, you don't get the full effect. And that's what the scriptures tells us: is, is this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. The fact is that Jesus Christ arose from the dead. But the fact is one thing. But when you move it from fact to faith, and in faith you live by it, it changes who we are. Peter stressed that a Christian's joy is independent of circumstances. That circumstances does not determine our joy and our peace. James echoes that when he says that, he says, trials are to be seen as occasions for joy. He says, though trials may produce temporary grief, they cannot diminish the abiding joy which is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we have our hope, our living hope. But again, folks, let's be honest. Let's just be honest about it. There are many folks who do not have that hope. There are many folks that do not have a clear path in the present. You know, they, they are uncertain where to go. They are uncertain what to do. They don't have a certainty about what the future holds. And it can happen in our lives too. It can happen in our lives too, folks, when we decide that we're going to do things our own way. And, you know, as a result of selfish choices, we may get what we want out of life. We may get a great career or money or possessions or lifestyle, but... There's always a cost. There's always a cost, and it may not show up initially, and it may not show up immediately, but eventually um, relationships suffer. Sometimes our health suffers. We end up with an empty feeling on the inside because we have climbed the ladder of success only to realize we put it on the wrong wall. You, you know, and, and by then it's too late. I, I guess one of the great examples of that um, to, to me as, as I was reading and, and looking was, is Tom Brady. Tom Brady, um, who now has five Super Bowl rings. After he won his third Super Bowl, he was interviewed about, hey, isn't life great? And isn't, you know, that now you got three Super Bowls. I mean, this is a guy that's in his late 20s at the time that has it all. I mean, you know, and I just read you from that interview. He says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think, still think there's something greater out there? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is it. You've got it. I've reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think. God, there's got to be more to life than this. I mean, this isn't it. This can't be all that it's cracked up to be, can it? Just won his third Super Bowl ring. You contrast what he says. <laughs> the guy that many people would have said was living the dream, has it all, has the money, has the, the prestige, has the rings, has it all. And he says, my life is still empty and had no clue why. And then you compare that to Tony Dungy um, in, in the book, A Quiet Strength. Tony Dungy was the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts who won Super Bowl 41. And Tony's a, a strong Christian. And when I ask about his Super Bowl victory, I'll read his quote. 
The Super Bowl is great, but it's not the greatest thing. My focus over the two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl was Matthew 16, verse 26, and what Jesus asked. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Our guys could gain all the accolades and success this world has, yet lose touch with their priorities, their principles, and the God who loves them. That's what it's all about, touching lives, building a legacy, not necessarily here on the field, but in the places that most people will never see, trying to be faithful in the position God has given me. I love coaching football. I love winning the Super Bowl, and it was a goal I had in my life for a long time, but it's never been my purpose in life. My purpose in life is to glorify God. We have to be careful that we don't let the pursuit of life's goals, no matter how important they seem, cause us to lose sight of purpose. Folks, Jesus Christ, the resurrected Jesus Christ, gives us hope and gives us two different Super Bowl winners and two totally very different perspectives about life. One felt empty, the other was satisfied because his primary goal in life was not the Super Bowl to begin with. His primary life in God was trusting in the resurrected Jesus Christ. Our living hope. Our living hope is secure, it's certain, it's real. And you have to put that in, com in, in contrast to the deceptive, empty, false hope that the world offers. Peter is often referred to as the apostle of hope. Thank goodness that Peter recorded some of those words so that we would have them today. That we would have that confidence and assurance to live our faith to the fullest. The difference is, as Christians, we have a hope because Jesus Christ is alive. We have a hope that Jesus Christ is alive for so many reasons. All the evidence says it. Jesus, after his crucifixion, um, after his death, after his resurrection, appeared to over 500 people, appeared to disciples, appeared, appeared to Peter. So we have hope. Do you have a hope that never dies? I mean, on Mondays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Saturdays and Sundays and in 2017 and 2020 and 2030, a hope that never dies. Dies. That's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ means. I, I mean, it really does, folks. You know, there's always that person that's wondering, um, how can I have a hope that never dies? For, I, I know that sounds complicated, that man, to have that kind of hope, it must be um, detailed. There must be some really hard plan to get it, but it really is not, folks. It, it really isn't. Believing and confessing begins with the realization that you want what Jesus Christ offers, that you want that living hope, that you believe, and you, know, you have to admit that you're a sinner and you're in need of a Savior. Until you reach that point, folks, none of us ever have living hope. But when you have a desire to have that living hope, then you simply have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that died on the cross paying the price for your sins and my sins once for all, that Jesus Christ died, that he was crucified on the cross, <laughs> paying the price for those sins. But he rose from the grave, defeating death and hell and Satan 
once and for all. Confess your sins. Ask for forgiveness. And receive living hope. You know, I entitled the message, Living Hope, Sharing Hope. The other reality is, folks, um, if you have <clears throat> a living hope, what are you doing to share that hope with others? Because it's not that you know somebody that doesn't have living hope. The reality is we know lots of folks that don't have that hope. The Easter season, um, if you read my newsletter article um, this week, um, I listed four definitions of what Easter is straight from the dictionary, straight from Wikipedia, straight, you know, off this. Two of the four top, there was about ten definitions, but that was the top four definitions. Two of those definitions have nothing to do with the resurrected Jesus Christ. Now, Easter is about the Easter money and Easter eggs, even though people have trouble figuring out what that has to do with the resurrection. But that's not the Easter hope. The Easter hope is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, I love you and I trust you. And I am so grateful that my God is alive. That Jesus Christ is alive. That Jesus.